0: sit on this wearing the fancy headpiece <clears throat> well thank you guys for coming and hearing me teach this is like my second time ever preaching so um thankful that you guys came out and still makes me really nervous this is not my cup of tea um, just all sorts of stress uh, actually it's funny josh uh, josh texted me tuesday last week and said hey do you want to preach this sunday and immediately started breaking out in a sweat, and, like, I kind think, of like, started itching. I was like, oh, no, I, I don't, I don't, I, you know, no. <laughs> like, and so he's like, okay, how about next week? I'm like, okay, I can do that. So, um, so yeah, still makes me nervous, but th- thankful you guys are here, thankful um, you give me the opportunity to do this, and thankful that I have um, pastors like Josh and like Jake who preach the word faithfully that help me to learn um, about something that I'm not very good at, so... Um, yeah, thank for you guys. Uh, so we're going to be in Ezekiel 36 today, tonight. Um, so as you guys are turning there, I uh, actually wanted to give some insight into my childhood. So uh, I don't know if you all know this about me, but um, some have said that I was sort of wild as a kid. Um, I don't know if it's true or not, but um, some, some may say reckless, actually. Um, I, was, I was pretty wild. Um, in fact, there was actually a couple days, or a couple days, there was actually one day um, that I, I both got stitches for busting my chin open on the concrete, um, and then when I got home a couple hours later, it was back in the hospital for breaking my nose, pretending I was Robin. So uh, I was a little wild, actually it was a pretty funny story, I was pretending I could fly like Robin, who can't fly. Um, so I dove into a swing, and um, dove a little too far into the swing, so I just went straight down. <laughs> And, um, and I think, rumor has it, that something else happened that day, and my parents just didn't even take me to the hospital, because they were afraid. They were like, three times is too many times to go to the emergency room for the same, same kid. We're going to lose him. So, but uh, it wasn't their fault. I was just 100 miles an hour, 24-7, um, constantly getting myself into trouble, and um, And so, really, it works out great because I feel like my life, my childhood was a was a one for one of Israel, Um, just constantly in trouble, uh, refusing to learn from their mistakes. And uh, and actually, I got to uh, talking to uh, um, Miss Linda back there about a a pastor that she knew and grew up with. And and it's funny, she said this morning we actually went to a marriage conference and he was uh, preaching there. And she said, you know, he was wild. He was always you know running and jumping into the lake. And so. Uh, I wasn't quite sure how he was going to turn out. It was kind of one of those things, and now he's a, a preacher of the gospel, and I'm sure countless people are saying that about me. Uh, but anyways, this one's particular, particular story, um, I was in second grade, and I loved to tell my teacher, Miss Onan. I used to tell her all the time about my dad and about his extravagant dramatic lifestyle. And I was just a kid who loved his dad and wanted to talk about him, but it um, turns out that maybe I was a little off base in some of my facts. Um, may have blended the line between reality and uh, fantasy. Uh, but anyways, my dad, who worked from home and coached my sisters in basketball, sort of turned into a uh, a dad who takes hunting trips to Africa and um, hunts wild game like tigers and boars and um, goes on safaris. And so anyways, and I mean, that's just minor details in my mind. But anyways, there was one day that... Um, I go in, my dad takes me to class, I go sit down, and kind of mind my own business, but I hear um, these terrifying words come out of my teacher's mouth, and it was, how was your trip to Africa? And (laughs) immediately, uh, let's find somebody to talk to away from that, and so I go over there, and sure enough, um, I hear my dad call my name, I walk over there to him, and and, uh, it was terrible, um, he, uh, he made me go to my teacher and tell her that I had been lying, um, that I was not telling the truth about my dad, and, and I think I even had to tell the class. Um, and so the problem was that I had lied about my dad. The problem was that I profaned the true character of my dad, that I swapped um, the reality of who he is, the character of the man that he is, um, and made it into something that I wanted it to be. And so my dad making me confess to my teacher, my class, my lies, was both um, to clear and vindicate his name, but it's also to grow and shape me as a man. And so let's read here in Ezekiel thirty-six, twenty-two. It says, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all of your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all uncleanness. I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and increase of the field abundant that you may never suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. You will loathe yourself and your iniquities and your abominations. And it is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded of your ways. Let's pray. Do Lord, I pray that, um, that as I begin to preach your word, um, God, I pray so much that, that it would not be my words, um, that it would be, not be left to my words or my ability because I fall short, God, but it would be your powerful word that impacts um, our hearts. I pray that you would teach us to be, to be respondent and humble to your grace and your glory. To place our faith in your holiness and your greatness and what you have done through Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there are, um, there's three points I'm going to draw us to today in the passage. And it's, one, it's God's reason for redemption. Two, God's plan for redemption. And three, our response to redemption. And so we start, we're going to look at, at God's reason for uh, redemption, and I want to give us a little bit of context, and we're, we're jumping really uh, uh, 75% through this book of prophecy that people um, still sort of um, try to seek to interpret today, and so I want to give us a little bit of a background. Um, so, here's the context. Israel is living in constant rebellion with God, right? They're in they're rebellion to God's word, and they're living in sin, and so... Uh, king Nebuchadnezzar, who we, we know him from Ratchak, Meshach, and Abednego, right? It's the same, the, the king with the furnace, the same king with Daniel. Um, so he comes onto the scene, and he exiles Israel to Babylon. So he takes them out of their land. They're exiled. Um, and this is where Ezekiel is. Ezekiel is now speaking to the exiles in Babylon. And, um, and that, sort of, that sort of narrows us in here. And then within the book, uh, the first 24 chapters were all prophecies against Israel. So, Ezekiel is speaking on behalf of God, um, and he's telling them all their sins and what God is going to do to them because of their sin. Um, and then, after that, after uh, chapters 25 through 32 are against the nations around them, uh, the nations that even God uses to bring judgment on them. Uh, and then chapters 33 through 48 is where we are here, are the prophecies of restoration of Israel. And so, um, what is Ezekiel doing? And he's, he's consistently ending all of his paragraphs and chapters with, then you will know that I am the Lord. And, and he's not saying, these saying on behalf of, of God. And so, I think really what's going on here is God is concerned with his holiness. God is concerned to let the people of Israel know that he is Lord and that he is holy and mighty. And so, I want to uh, turn, you don't have to turn there with me, but uh, we even went, Joshman, over this, um, a couple Sundays ago. This is Revelation 4, verse 8, and I want to read this to you guys and let this um, just sink in. So this is chapter 4, verse 8. He says, And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, full of eyes all around and within, a day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures... G- Give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast down their crowns before him, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created." Um, I've said it before, and, and I know it's it's a worn quote from, from somebody, um, that the scariest thing that we can know is that our God is good. The most terrifying thing to us is that our God is holy, and He will never cease to be holy. And so that should lead us to the question of do we see Him as holy even now? Do we see that our God cares greatly about his holiness it says that right here in 22 that is not for your sake israel that i'm about to act but for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned and i will vindicate my holiness the holiness of my great name do we see that do we understand that god cares greatly about his name And then we see that Israel has profaned his name. That's the second half of that verse um, that says that for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And so Israel has this chronic disease of losing sight of God's holiness and providence and adopting the practices of the world around them. Um, And and the reality is, is as we have that same curse, that same disease, we often lose sight of who God is and we focus on what's going on, around, going on around us, and we adopt the culture in which we live in. And so because they chose to break God's law and covenant, God's executing his just and holy judgment on them. So it's, it's not just for, for any reason. The reason why they're exiled is because they've profaned his name, because they've sinned against him. And so God does not, he cannot bless and prosper their sin. They're living in sin. They're living in the land that God has promised them. And they're sinning and they're rebelling against God consistently, time and time again. And so God is not blessing that. And so here is the result of that. And so God does not bless our, our, our sin either. And so the greatest example that we can give, I mean, sort of like my dad did as well, is that a father who loves his kid disciplines his kid, right? Right? If he is concerned for his kid, if he's concerned for the well-being of him, then he disciplines him. And so, I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a poor example, but that's the best that we have with this, is that they are running away from God's word and his law, and so God is, is inflicting judgment upon them. And so do we have, I want us to ask us this question, do we have a realistic view of sin? Do we see it as the cause of God's fierce and devastating judgment? And it's, it's far too easy to lose sight of a true um, and correct view of sin in the church. That, that's just the reality. And that's both um, the fault of us as the church and the fault of the, the society in which we live in today, which we, we want to promote this tolerance, we want to promote this, this peace, this coexistence. We want to promote God's grace and God, we want to promote love. And it's not necessarily that those things are bad, but what the result is is that we've lost a correct view of sin. We lost a view that, that sin demands judgment. And so I want to know that. I want to drive that home to you guys, that just because we have a, an incorrect view of sin or that we lose sight of it sometimes, know that someone must pay for that sin. Someone must take that judgment of that sin. And so here we look to God. We know that God has sent our son, it's not our son, he has sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. And so he has taken that punishment. He's taken the payment to sin. But here in this text it creates a problem with God's covenant with Israel. So God is concerned for his holiness. God is um Holy, he will never cease to be holy. Israel has profaned his name. And then third is God's covenant with his people here. So he's promised them that they would inherit this land. But the, the reality is the relationship and the bond between God and Israel has been severed. But God's word and God's promise still stands. And so I want to draw our attention here to, to Deuteronomy 9, 5 through 7. It's a very similar passage And he says, starting in verse 5, "...not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord God is, is driving them out before you, that he may confirm the word that the Lord has swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob." Listen to what it says here. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stubborn people. Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. And so in this, in this passage and in Ezekiel, we see that there's, Um, we see that there is this conflict between God's covenant and between what's happened by them being exiled. And so this is the link between the other two points. Um, We have that God is holy. We have that he will never not be holy and that he has linked his name to Israel through his covenant. And then we we have that Israel has profaned his name. And so this, I I kind of... tried uh, explaining this to the choir this morning. I think it was poorly done, but this is good because it's kind of difficult to, ex- to explain, but we see how these mesh together. So God gives his name to his people. He associates it with it, and God is holy, but they are the ones who profaned his name. And so because of the covenant and because of his concern for his name and his holiness, he will both judge and redeem his people. And so the, the, there's really no good um, explanation or analogy for this, but the, the best that I could do was think of, do you guys remember the, the runner Usain Bolt? Who uh, he's, I mean, he's crazy fast. He's the fastest man in the world. He won a bunch of medals a couple of years ago and then won them uh, this recent Olympics. And, uh, but there's, uh, recently I read an article that said that Usain Bolt is being stripped of a couple of his gold medals because in the, in the relay... Um, His teammate was using performance-enhancing drugs or something of that nature. Um, And so because of that, he's being stripped of his gold medals. His reputation and his name is being tarnished because of an association with somebody else. And so that's essentially what's happening, that that Israel is profaned against God. They've they've rebelled against him. But because of his uh, covenant with them, he will both judge them and redeem them. And so that leads us to verse 24, and this is God's plan for redemption. So he shifts gears in here in verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And so there's two primary ways of redemption that happens here in in 24 through 30, and it's redemption of the outside and it's redemption of the inside. And so redemption on the outside, he's going to do two things. He's going to gather and he's going to cleanse. And so right here in this first part, we we see that he's gathering his people. And so what he's doing is he's reversing and redeeming his judgment against, that he's inflicted upon them. So they sinned, they've fallen away. He's judged them. He's scattered them among the nations because of their sin. And so now here in verse 24, he's talking about a day in which he will bring them back. He will reverse and redeem the judgment upon them. And uh, just a side note that our call to worship today was a similar passage in Ezekiel, from chapter eleven. But in that passage, it says that he has been a san- for he had, for a little while. I have been a sanctuary to him. Is what it says. Uh, now this is important here because al- although that he has scattered them and although he's taken them away from the place in which they can be made right with God, he's saying that will be a sanctuary to him. He's saying that though I've scattered them. I will be with them. I'm still with them. D.A. Carson says it like this. He says, this is, so, this is so because the real sanctuary is a person, not a symbolic place or a building. Ezekiel's first vision underscores this fact where in chapter one he says, above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. This anticipates the person of Jesus who refers to himself as a temple and that's in John, in the Gospel of John so he scatters them but he's faithful to be with them and he will call them back the second second part of this in 25 says I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness from all your idols I will cleanse you And so this is the second half of this outward redemption he cleans them And so, just as he gathered him, he reverses and redeems uh, his judgment upon them. Here, when he cleanses them, he's reversing and redeeming what they have inflicted upon themselves. They are guilty and unclean. They're exiled from their temple, and that's, that's the place where they can go to worship him. That's where they can go to be made right with him. And because of what they've done and because of their sin, they've been removed from that. They're stuck. They're helpless. And so there's uh, my uncle. Uh, I remember a couple years back, there was, there, uh, it was I guess it was two years ago now, uh, whenever a big snowstorm came. And uh, do you guys remember all those cars that were stuck on Interstate 65 for like 24 hours, something like that? Well, my uncle was in that. And uh, I, I remember hearing the fact that he was driving on his way down south and all the snow happened and then all those cars couldn't get up the hill And so here he is stuck in the middle of 65. He's stranded in the middle of the storm. He's got limited gas that's running out. It's freezing cold outside. He has no food, no bathroom, and he's helpless. I mean, what is he going to do? He's stuck. Or maybe um, a more realistic and more weighty example of this is um, just recently, uh, like last night, we found out that somebody that... um, somebody that we know that we used to go to church with a long time ago in college, um, who, who was pursuing seminary, pursuing ministry, um, morally failed. He, he got caught um, doing some inappropriate stuff, and so and so now his, his ministry is over, and, and for the time being, he's um, in trouble with the law. And so It's not something that they set out to do. Israel did not set out to be isolated from God and be away from their promised land, but because of the actions that they chose, because of unconfessed sin, because of this isolated nature of sin, they look up and they're in another land. They look up and they're exiled. They look up and they're stranded and hopeless. So I want to take this time to point to Christ. Look at the future tense of this of this passage. He's not saying that he is is instantly doing this, but he's pointing to a day in which he will clean them. He's pointing to a day in which he will gather them. And so we know on this side of it, we have a different lens in which we interpret this. We interpret this because we see it fulfilled in Christ. Right? That Christ has come and he's cleansed us of all of our unrighteousness. He's cleansed us of the stain of sin in our lives. And so we point to that, and we we look to that and hope to that. And so that draws us to Hebrews. You don't have to turn there, but Hebrews 10, or chapter 10, verse 22. says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful." He is faithful to cleanse us. God's word here, his promise here to his people, he is faithful. Though they have profaned his name, he is faithful. And so it brings us to the second way that he redeems us and that's on the inside. Look here at verse 26. And I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So in the inside, he does two things. He replaces and he enables. And so this first one, he replaces the heart that's within us. And we see here that what often what we see on the outside is not always a good indicator of what's on the inside. And I, I, we don't have to explain that to you. We all see this in every uh, everyday life, right? We all know that guy at, at work that, um, that always is showing off his new purchase, his new car, or his recent vacation or whatever it might be and for us that's Jake he's always you know blabbing about his new cars and and no, I'm just joking but uh but we all know that guy we all know that guy that that is as ta- all talk but no um no game right or maybe more accurately we all know that guy who outwardly has it all together or maybe it's maybe it's us who has it all together they have the good job they have the good wife. They have the good kids. They have the big house. Everybody likes them. They're successful, but internally he's dead. He's rotting. Internally he hates himself, and we see this in society. We hear these. We hear these stories all the time about, um, about these people and about the, the rate of depression and the state of our culture. And it's no wonder. It's because what's going on on the outside is not what's happening on the inside. And so here we see that it is not enough for God just to gather and cleanse his people on the outside. If all of the outside of Israel were clean and perfect their hearts would still be stone. It would still be hard to the will of God. And so it is with us. Christ must replace our hearts. He must take out the heart of stone that is hard to the good news, that is hard to the will of God, that is hard to the gospel, and put in a heart of flesh that is penetrated with the greatness of God's word. And this is essential for our redemption. We must be transformed. We must be transformed. And note that it's not, it's not the Israelites that can do this. This is only something that God can do. It's an act of God. No under no circumstance can we make the sort of heart transformation that's necessary for salvation. Under no circumstance can we can we make our hearts receptible to the work of the Spirit. That's something that God does. He transforms our hearts. And so then He enables us. I mean look, we see this here in, in verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. And he goes on to say, and you shall dwell in the land that I give that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, I will be your God, I will deliver you from all uncleanness, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant, and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace. A famine among the nations. And so, up to this point, God has promised Israel a lot of things, but He has not promised them freedom from their lives of sin. But here He does. Here He says, I will put my spirit within you, and you will be able to walk in the ways that I've called you to walk. And so, just, just flip the page, um, flip the page in Ezekiel to 37. Um, it's just a page over, and look at chapter or verse thirteen here. This is the dry bones chapter, um, and look in verse th- thirteen. He says, "And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and I raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord." I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. God's Spirit is bringing new life to His redeemed people. He's waking them out of their graves and He's causing them to be able to live spiritually alive lives because of what He's doing. He's giving the same power, even as, as Jake preached uh, last Sunday, the same powerful Spirit, the same powerful uh, God awakening us to obey him, same power that raised Jesus from the dead is within us, and so he 's giving us new life and um, i 'm going to read a, a decent portion from Romans here and this is this is honestly my goal is to preach in such a way that I can get to romans eight and then i don 't have to preach anymore right It preaches itself um, and so here I, here I go so um, but this is Romans eight verse five, and it says to those who live according to the flesh." Um, set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. But look what it says here. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Through His Spirit who dwells in you, and so this is where I pray and say I'm done. Right, that's my my job is done. Uh, Paul can preach much better than me, but this is the culmination of the gospel in us. God's seal and assurance of faith is the Spirit that He gives to bring us to life in Him. And so we we talk about it a lot in church, but do you do you realize that? Do you realize that truth that God's spirit is what makes you alive to live lives that are honoring to god lives that can obey him lives that can truly worship him with a repentant heart and so that leads to my final point i don't know how long i've been preaching but i hope it's not been too long um our response of redemption and so look in verse 31 of this back in ezekiel 36 He says, Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourself for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you, but be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. So this is not the normal response we hear in church. Um, To be ashamed... So now that you've been saved, be ashamed. So this, this is the opposite of Romans 8. This doesn't preach quite as easily to us um, because it, it, it rubs us the wrong way. But this is God's word and it's true. And so here he's saying, be ashamed. There is no, um, there is no true forgiveness without realizing that we need forgiveness, Right? And so there's a part of the story, my second grade story, that I didn't tell earlier. Um, and this is when my dad came and made me go tell the teacher in the class what I had done. And um, There was genuine and real shame. I was so embarrassed. I felt so bad for what I'd done. I remember crying. I remember stuttering. I remember feeling all bad about it and not knowing um, why and, and all these things. But I knew that my father loved me. I knew that he cared for me. And I knew that he cared for me not only then, but he cared for the man that I would grow up to be. And so it was shame and remorse when I was in second grade, but it was tempered with hope and assurance. And that's what we have here. That's what Ezekiel is saying. As redeemed people, do not forget what you once were. I cannot forget who I once was. We were lost. We were 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 dead in our sins. We were scattered, we were exiled. We were working for the American dream but completely covered in sin. And though we had it all, we were spiritually flatlined. Oh the sinful lives that we once lived. Oh the sinful life I once lived. We should feel that. Don't let that escape this text. We should feel the weight of our sin. Oh, but look and see. And so Carson says in in his commentary in this text, that he says that um, although God is not doing it out of, he says he's not doing it out of grace and mercy towards us, but he's doing it to vindicate his holy name, yet it is still gracious. Amen? It is still merciful. And so, oh, look and see our God. God reminds us to see what He has done for us. Look and see that the holy God that we serve, who cared enough for His holy name to redeem us, the very people who slandered it. Oh, look and see our God, who has not only restored our state, but He's made us alive with the power of His spirit, and He's given us a new heart. He's made us His people. Oh, look and lament all that we once were, all that I once was. And look and see with the knowledge and joy of who I now am, who we now are by the work of Christ. And so if you have not seen your sin for what it is, and you've not seen God for what he has done, I pray that that God's word would shine deep in your heart. And, And this is ultimately where Um, This is ultimately where we end. We we need to see that our God is holy. He has saved us and that should bring us to our knees. It should lead us to worship. It should lead us to lament that oh, I'm not the man that I once was. Oh, what a sinful man I used to be. And that application is the same. It's the same for the the working mother who's got five kids who, who can't find her kids, let alone find time to read God's Word. The application is the same for the couple that are working week in and week out on opposite schedules, and it's just a simple kiss, and I love you as they leave to go to the next thing. The application is the same for the college student who's working nonstop. And it's the same for an elderly man who is home, alone, missing his kids. The application is the same. God has redeemed you for his namesake. And oh, look and see what he's done. That The Holy God, the creator of the universe, loves you. He's breathed life into you. He has gathered you. He's cleansed you. He's replaced your heart of stone with a heart of flesh. He's given you His Spirit, His Holy Spirit to live within you and give you life. So listen to this statement as we end. By, By His grace, we are able to see, rejoice, and live in His grace. I want to say that again. I want you to know that. By His grace, we are able to see, rejoice, and live in His grace. Let's pray. Dear God, I I pray that that it would not be my words that that stand out to people, but it would be your holy word. That it would be what you have done. That you are the holy God, the creator of, of everything the sustainer of all things. God, your providence and your rule knows no end. From the highest point of creation to every detail of a human body, you are in control of it all. And so we lift you up as the holy God. God, as we look and we see what we have done, oh God, I thank you that that you have made a way that we might be right with you, that, that our sin did demand a judgment and Jesus was that payment on our behalf? That Jesus Christ stepped in and paid our sin that we might have all of the blessings that you have promised to your people. We thank you for it. Got to pray that we would live in that grace. In Jesus' name, amen.